0: Dementia researcher with a blog and a rating. Sorting facts from fiction. If you're an immunologist by training, you might have had a wee giggle at the title of this blog. If you aren't, fear not. I hope that by the end of this blog, you will see the pond too. Today, I'm going to take you through the principle of facts, why it's such a bread and butter technique in the field of immunology, and how I'm using it in my own research. Firstly, let's start from the basics. Fluorescence activated cell sorting, or FACS, is a technique used to physically isolate or sort individual cells from a mixed population, and analyse their properties. Its popularity in molecular sciences is driven by the fact that it's highly versatile, extremely high throughput, and allows a multiple parameter analysis of individual cells in real time. But before we progress any further, we have to set the record straight. In the field of self-sorting, the terms flow cytometry and facts are often used interchangeably, but strictly speaking, they aren't the same. The key in where they differ is if the isolated cells are going to be used for further research. Bear with me. Facts and flow cytometry are based on the principle that cells can be isolated from a whole tissue and that these can be labeled using fluorescence. And if cells can be labeled with fluorescent antibodies, all we need is a machine that can detect these fluorophores and sort them according to their fluorescent intensity. And luckily for us, such a machine was developed, aka the flow cytometer. The flow cytometer is equipped with a laser beam and multiple filters, which can measure the fluorescence of your favorite cells as they pass through said laser beam in a continuous flow, like a conga. As each cell congas its way through, it scatters some of the laser light at which point the cells that are tagged with the antibody will emit a fluorescent light, which is picked up by the different detectors. As each cell is profiled, it appears on a dot plot, which can compare up to three parameters simultaneously, allowing researchers to profile the cells of interest there and then. At this point, different cell populations will start to emerge. As you plot and compare different antibodies on the X and Y axes, each cell, or dot, will fall based on its intensity of expression anything to the edges of the x and y axes will have high expression, and anything in the middle, or near to the zero, will have intermediate to low expression. For example, microglia are often referred to as CD45 low, which is a marker for macrophages or activated microglia, whereas macrophages will fall into a CD45 high category. So based on CD45 expression, I should be able to distinguish microglia from macrophages as I sort them. Of course you would be quite limited in characterizing differences between these cell types with only one marker. And the beauty of FACS and flow cytometry is that you can use multiple markers to classify each cell. So if you ever come across FACS or flow cytometry in papers, each cell type will most likely have four to five antibody expressions associated with it. For example, microglia are more correctly defined as Ly6G negative, Ly6C negative, CD11b positive and CD45 low. On top of fluorescent intensity, a flow cytometer can also detect other cell properties, such as size, known as forward scatter, and shape, more correctly termed granularity, and known in the field as side scatter. These properties are useful when we come to the analysis, as it's an easy way to detect and remove debris, for example. And now for the difference. Flow cytometry is used to gather a comprehensive view of a cell or cells of interest in a particular sample but not recover the cells after they pass through the cytometer. For example, I might be interested in phenotyping the blood of a stroke patient compared to an individual that hasn't suffered a stroke. What I would see with flow cytometry are elevated numbers of monocytes and neutrophils in the blood sample of the stroke patient. If I was particularly interested in isolating the neutrophil population for further study, I would then turn to facts. Based on the antibodies that I've used to label my neutrophils, an electronic charge, positive or negative, is applied, depending on the fluorescence of the cell and sorted in the tube. Recovered cells can be cultured or used in more in-depth phenotypic analyses with techniques like bulk or single-cell RNA sequencing. And single-cell RNA sequencing, or the ability to classify and distinguish cells at a transcriptional level, is exactly what I embarked on by using FACS. In my latest set of experiments, I was interested in separating, or sorting, resident microglia versus infiltrating monocytes following a stroke, and then transcriptionally analyze how these cells are similar and different, with the overall aim of understanding how each cell type contributes to injury resolution. So for this study, I initially dissected a brain area that suffered an acute stroke, I created a cell suspension which is primarily enriched for macrophages, capturing both microglia and monocyte-derived macrophages, or MDMs, I stained my cell suspension with antibodies that specifically label microglia and NDMs, and then walked over to the flow cytometer with my cells and sorted microglia in one tube and NDMs in another, based on 4-5 to antibody expressions. Analysis is in progress, stay tuned. Pretty cool stuff, right? But of course all techniques have drawbacks. High number of cells are required for FACs to be successful, and recovery rates are 50-70% to of the initial input. So having an isolation protocol that will yield the highest number of viable cells is key, and no small feat. A postdoc in my research group spent many a month in his PhD, tweaking fax protocols to obtain highly enriched samples of microglia by adding or removing enzymes and optimizing which pipettes would cause the least amount of cell death. Great fun. And if you're studying rare cell types, it could be an extra challenge. Knowing how to do FACTS well and understanding the ins and outs of the flow cytometer are skills honed over many years. So it will come as no surprise that highly skilled personnel is required to maintain and use the sorters. Thankfully, most universities have designated fax facilities, overcoming the initial steep learning curve of this technique. And last but not least, by isolating the cells themselves, all spatial information is lost. This might not be such a big concern if you work with blood samples, but if you work in tissues like myself, Knowing where different cell types are located and how this might change following injury is part and parcel of understanding disease etiology and injury resolution. A technique that can help us supplement what we learn from facts of flow cytometry is immunohistochemistry, as this technique preserves spatial information, but is instead limited in depth when it comes to phenotyping cells, primarily due to the lack of available antibodies and because this type of staining is a much lengthier process whilst a fax experiment could let you profile 10,000 cells in less than one minute with as many antibodies as there are colors, staining that many cells with immunohistochemistry would require weeks. Hopefully, you're still with me, but if you're after a short and sweet summary, here goes. Both flow cytometry and fax are irreplaceable techniques that enable researchers to measure and characterize multiple cell parameters by using specific antibodies tagged with fluorescent dyes. FAX has an added degree of functionality, allowing the researcher to sort a biological sample to physically collect their favourite cell of interest for further awesome analysis. Thank you for listening. Join the Dementia Research bloggers and share your own views.